United Nations and Added Touch. Um, we're thrilled to have old friends to the show here. At, I think we can call them old friends by now. Uh, Patrick Leahy from uh, Triton and Rob McCollum from EOS. Thank Gentlemen. you so much for making time to join us today. Oh. It is just such a pleasure to see you guys at the end of what we have been following since last December. Of, I, I have to just say, I, in the schoolgirl way, such an epic adventure. You know, I, yeah, there was all the media attention after the, the fourth big dive, but when you really look at what you guys have achieved over the past nine months, it's really exciting. Um, so okay, oh, I just took the schoolgirl and we had to say that at some have, stage. Have you met my 16-year-old daughter? <laughs> 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 it's uh, it's it's great to be back, and thank you for following us uh, all the way around. Uh, Patrick and I have really appreciated the support we've had all the way around, and you guys have been with us every step of the way. Uh, I, I would have been with you even, you know, I would have even gone with you, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> just just saying for and, the next. Adventure. It certainly has been that and much more. It's it has been as I stated. I think in my uh, my quote on the press release, you know, it's been the greatest professional privilege of my life to be part of this this epic adventure, as you describe it. Historic. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it hasn't always been fun. There have been a few moments along the way when we got our our butts kicked, but it, it really, you know, usually. You don't get one without the other, right? You know, you don't usually uh, get a great sense of satisfaction at completing something if it's really easy. That's when it's difficult, you know, it's bound to have been difficult. You you, uh, you tend to feel, I don't know, uh, a greater sense of satisfaction when you finally complete and hum it. humbling, I would think as well. So, for those of our listeners who um, haven't been following the whole thing. What? The last December um, was when we first talked with you guys and you were just about to head off on what was called the Five Deeps Expedition, where it seemed in premise it was to dive the deepest parts of the ocean. But the this oceans. is when you look at the logistics and the final logistics of everything that you had to put together, it was a mammoth task. Mm both in the technology and in what you achieved, because it was also a science expedition and you were mapping and you had new technology to bring to parts of the ocean that really, you know, you had a rough plan of what was there, but nothing to what you've discovered. So I just wanted to give a fuller introduction because um, I'm not sure if everyone has, has had the full story of um, what you guys have been doing. And we last saw you after the port uh, dive. I think that's a good place to start is, uh, you know, at the, at the very beginning and to go back and look at the primary mission was to send a human-occupied vehicle, a submersible, to the deepest point of each of the world's five oceans. And, you know, now that we've done it and it's been profoundly successful, um, you know, it's worth casting a mind back to those early days when... Not only did we not have a, a vehicle that, that could do this job, uh, down to the activity, uh, uh, engineering brilliance of, of Triton submarines to design a craft, the only craft, the first craft ever to be able to undertake this mission, we didn't actually know where the deeps were, or in fact, how deep they might be. 
you know, and I say to people that, you know, anyone can do a world first. You just find one, a world uh, record. You just go out there and find one and then uh, do it better, faster, more efficiently and beat it. But a world first is a different kettle of fish. With a world first, there's no recipe. There's, there's no template. There's, there's no uh, chart to follow. And so, you know, all credit to Triton Submarines for designing this vehicle, which for the first time has given humans the ability to reach any depth in any ocean at virtually any time. And I would like also uh, just to mention to um, uh, Victor Vrskovo, who was the inspiration, and, and this, this whole adventure began with him having this crazy idea to dive to the deepest parts of all the oceans. And why not? He climbed to the highest summits and went to the poles, um, but you know, from one man's inspiration, it drove Triton to develop a, a whole new generation of submersibles that was never seen before. Um, Very and true. And, and a lot of the credit does go and, and must go to, to Victor for having this audacious idea and giving uh, a small company uh, an opportunity to build this remarkable craft. Uh, he underwrote the cost of developing it, and of course, he financed the entire expedition and made it possible for all of us who were fortunate enough to be along for the ride yeah. to to this epic adventure and and to I think achieve something remarkable, noteworthy, and hopefully, as Rob says, that's kind of moved the uh, that's kind of moved the ball down the field by giving us uh, a platform from which future expeditions can be launched as well, because while Victor's expedition has now come to an end, uh, there's now a capacity for others to follow and to pick up where Victor has left off. He, he did one other thing um, correctly as well. Uh, he chose Triton. <laughs> well, I mean, of course, uh, I, I agree with you. <laughs> can I just, uh, to get a, a clear idea? organization and I think it's part of the part of the the reason we were able to do it was because we're a smaller organization not burdened by all the sort of corporate inertia that maybe a bigger company might have had but also I think we've got some incredibly talented uh, and capable designers and engineers and and technicians and and operators who all contributed to the success because the success was really down to a, a, a large group of people and it goes way beyond just Triton. You know, it was Triton operating, you know, designing, building, and and supporting the submarine. But you know, AOS was executing this this mammoth expedition that was very complex. You had a fantastic ship and a ship's crew under the under the tutelage of a, of a fine captain, Stuart Buckle, and uh, you had scientists uh, who I think were on on some of our other calls. Mm -hmm. Who, who did some remarkable science that I think is going to be revealed over the, the next few years. So lots of people contributed uh, to our success. It certainly wasn't a solitary effort or a single group's effort. No, it would never have worked if it was. Can I just outline, because, um, you know, we think of submarines, but when you look at what this particular submersible had to withstand... I mean, just, you know, for me... You have some stats, don't you? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm thinking of my seven-year-old describing the pressure it was under, which is approximately 100,000 pounds, which she described over many buses and whales and heavy things. 
But if you look at what the pressure on a, a viewport was, that would be equal to four jumbo jets, which when we get the context of what it had to withstand, it's just phenomenal. You know, we only get a small experience of that in aviation. And, you know, that's, that's just right. cabin pressure. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because oftentimes, you know, when you just quote a number, 16,000 PSI or 1,100 bar, you know, 14,000 meters, mm. it's it's difficult in many cases for people to really conceive of what that translates to in in, in into something that they can understand. And so, uh, interestingly, an author asked me the other day, Susan Casey, who uh, came out and, and joined us on a couple of the legs of the expedition, or at least one of the legs of the expedition. She asked me, you know, how would you summarize that? And I told her that if you work out the surface area of the sphere, you know, this 1500 millimeter inside diameter titanium sphere that's 90 millimeters thick, you look at the overall surface area of that sphere and the people that are inside of it, and you work out what the pressure equates to in terms of weight pressing down on the vehicle, it works out to 291 fully fueled and loaded jumbo jet 747s. Wow. Now that's almost a, you know inconceivable uh, thing to, to imagine, but yeah, it's an immense pressure. Wow. That's beyond yeah. um, So I, I, uh, I took this a step further for my 10-year-old son, who considers Patrick uh, a living dead. You know, the, the, the weight on the entire hull is equivalent to 7,900 double-decker buses. On each of the viewports, on each of the windows in the sub, there is a weight of four fully laden jumbo jets. On the hatch, just on the hatch itself, which is wide enough to get one person through at a time, there are 175 London double-decker buses or 1,000 large two-ton SUVs. Immense pressures. Uh, who measured the weight of the buses? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you look it up. Uh, I, uh, a fully loaded jumbo jet is supposedly three quarters of a million pounds. I did it in pounds because a man, you know, a large portion of our audience is here in the United States, and of course, uh, I wanted to use units of measure that that uh, you know people here in the U.S. are familiar with. But yeah, it's a, it's an immense pressure. Often, you know, when we're putting things down in the ocean, you know, we're dealing with these. Uh, atm it's eleven hundred atmospheres when you send something into space, you're dealing with one atmosphere. You know, we're dealing with 1,100 atmospheres at the bottom of the ocean. So it's a staggering uh, thing to consider, but it, it is a, a truly remarkable craft, and, and Triton had this privilege to produce this craft for Victor, to be part of this uh, historic expedition. And as I said, it has been quite an epic adventure, quite a journey, and uh, I hope there'll be more. <laughs> Can I ask, because this obviously uh, meant that Triton had to up their game in technology development, because it was a whole new d generation of submersible that you created. How has that affected the company going forward? Has it changed your direction? Has it, um, what changes to the actual company itself? Well, obviously, we, we haven't, I think, realized the full effect of the Five Deeps expedition and the development of the Triton 36002 or the LF. 
But we hope that the effect will be profound. Uh, certainly, there's, you know, we've proven that we can build a vehicle that can go anywhere in the ocean. And I hope that that assuages people's concerns about diving to lesser depths, but doesn't diminish their interest in doing that. Um, my hope is that it will translate into the production of more subs. Uh, in fact, uh, we're, we're, we've just started building the deepest diving acrylic sub, uh, a sub that will dive to 7,500 feet and carry three people. And, and I don't know whether the LF or the, the Triton 36002 and the five deeps expedition is responsible for that project going forward. But certainly when, when there's a groundswell of, of support and interest for an idea and when you can prove your ability to produce something for really extreme environments, I, I do think it, it helps to build a case for why diving in a sub that goes to two or 3,000 meters or 1,000 meters is, uh, is something that I wouldn't say it's, it's commonplace or ordinary because it's not. Anytime you're sending people down thousands of feet or thousands of meters underwater, uh, you, have to be, you have to be conscious of, of just how significant that is. But being able to put subs together that people can sit in and look out of instead of just looking out through a viewport, but looking out through a completely transparent pressure boundary, uh, that's profound, that's compelling. And our hope is that the, this expedition will encourage more people uh, to acquire submersibles, to incorporate them onto their yachts, and to enjoy the considerable benefits of being able to visit parts of our world that you couldn't see any other way. So submersibles are a wonderful addition to, uh, to a yacht. This is one of the other lovely attributes that the Five Deeps dive has had, is as you have traveled, not only have you brought the whole uh, University of Newcastle were involved in, in the science and discovering new species and taking water specimens, but you've also mapped out, is it 650,000 square kilometers of ocean bed that, I mean, uh, to my understanding, we really only had kind of a sketchy notion of before, which That's goes right. hand in hand it's, of if exploration can't happen if we don't exactly know where we're going, or maybe it's just a lot easier when we do have a map. Um, that is one of those great gifts of the expedition. that Victor is going to be sharing those bathymetric charts, those maps of the ocean with the rest of the world. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing because these are large swaths of our ocean that either were not mapped at all or were mapped uh, in very poor detail. So I think in, in terms of newly mapped ocean, we're talking about an area the size of Italy, the country of Italy. And uh, that's pretty exciting stuff too because these, are, this, these, these bathymetric charts are revealing what these ocean trenches look like in detail, you know, with a high level of granularity. And it's, you know, seamounts and ridges and, and things of interest that uh, future scientists and explorers will want to go down and visit. So yes, you're right, those maps are a big part of what what Victor is going to contribute to, you know, the, the global knowledge base of the ocean. So looking to, uh, as a mother of four kids, um, uh, the organization just in a domestic family can be overwhelming. But when I really started reading into what 
was involved. And I, I'd just like to quote some of these, of just the organization that was necessary to bring this project together. Um, and I take this from, actually, your site, the EOS Expeditions. There were 1,100 flights. There were 54 governments you had to deal with. Uh, there were 10,000 bed nights and 35,000 meals to be organized. Uh, you collected 400,000 specimens, which, let me remind everyone, all had to be labeled. <laughs> um, discovered 40 new species. And, uh, you know, that's just um, probably the tip of the iceberg of everything that went on. Um, Rob, can I, can I ask of, you know, we started at the beginning where, you know, you first um, were saying how there were some primary objectives and secondary objectives. But one of the things you spoke of last time was the importance of the team around you and, and how supportive everyone was of each other. Can you tell us a little bit of the logistics of getting this whole thing running? Yeah, I'd just like to clarify that none of the 400,000 samples were used in the 35,000 meals. That's a vicious <laughs> <laughs> Uh You know, it, when, when we started, the, the first logistical uh, consideration was the itinerary itself because, of course, uh, five deeps, five oceans, you've got to go right around the planet. So it's a circumnavigation. But the two anchor points were the Arctic Ocean, which has to be done in the northern summer uh, around August, and the uh, the Antarctic, the Southern Ocean, which has to be done in the southern summer, the austral summer, uh, in February. And so you're sort of having to run a, a helical pattern uh, around the world as well as up to the top and down to the bottom. So that was the first challenge. The second challenge was working out what the mission objectives were. And I, I said before that the expedition has been profoundly successful because it, it ticked off all of their key objectives. The first was to bring everyone home safe and sound with no injuries. We achieved that. The second was to get a human to the deepest point of each of the five oceans, which we've done. The, the third was to visit a whole lot of secondary sites. And uh, they chopped and changed during the year. Um, but we, we've, we've bagged a lot of uh, secondary sites. We did a second dive at Puerto Rico. We dived in the Horizon Deep, which is the second deepest point uh, on the world's ocean. And we went to do a series of dives on the Titanic. Well, the fourth objective was science, which uh, you've heard about. And the fifth was, was outreach. But the thing that's really surprised me about the expedition is that it's been incredibly stressful at times. You know, Trident had to run an exhaustive uh, set of sea trials to, to prove the vehicle. Um, we had to run a set of sea trials for the primary expedition platform, the, the, the pressure drop, our ship. Um, but we also had to learn how to do this. Uh, there, as I said, there was no roadmap. So we literally had to learn by doing. And all of these things combined created a great deal of stress on the team. But it's my absolute delight to uh, say that we've finished this better friends than we started. Um, during the, uh, the fanfare in London last week when we ended the expedition formally, uh, you know, two of the speakers referred to uh, us having created a family. And I think that's a really uh, high order of praise because what we've done is we've, in, you know, in effect created the sort of most accomplished deep submergence team uh, in the world today. And we've done that without anyone getting hurt 
um, and and achieving all our primary mission objectives uh, over the last ten months. We even had a little fun along the way. Is there one thing you would look back and and think I would have done that differently, or is it? Well, you never would have learned by it, had you? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's quite a few things that we would maybe have done differently, but you know what? As Rob says, the the I think the results speak for themselves. And, and, you know, if you go back to those early, those dark days, those early days in December of last year, when I think there was a collective belief that we could never get it done, I think the key in all of this is the remarkable group of people, their tenacity, their resourcefulness, their ability to dig deep when they needed to and to figure out how to solve problems when it became necessary to do so. And to just never give up, never, never lose faith in your ability to accomplish the objective. I really feel that is the key, the team, this incredible group of people that made it possible for Victor to achieve his objectives and for all of us to, to have this epic adventure. Wow. I'm, I'm looking forward to the movie coming out. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, actually, there is going to be a movie of sorts because um, Discovery Channel have been photographing the whole thing and filming the whole thing. I had Charlton, so they will be live next year on our screens. I had Charlton Heston playing Patrick. and um, Sorry, Rob, don't, don't ask me what I was going to say for you. <laughs> Can I just ask, um, Rob, because it, it you know hit our screens, the, your more recent dive to the Titanic, which I believe you had visited uh, a number of years back. Um, was it profound, the changes you saw in it, or was it um, an obvious passage of time, perhaps, anyway? You know, when you when you first see the Titanic, you're, you're struck by how beautiful she is in terms of her lines. I mean, a lot of the vessel is... Uh, you know, badly trashed uh, was you know trashed during the um, the sinking, but the when you approach the bow and you see those lines, you really think, wow, they they really built some art. They really built aesthetics into the design of of um, ships of that era. And you know, whatever Titanic does, she does with with some grace, the grace you'd expect of an old lady. She is deteriorating, um, but she's doing so gracefully. Uh, you know, we say ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and, and the same goes for metal objects in a, in a salty so ocean. Rust to she rust. She is going to be, yeah, rust to rust. She's going to be reduced to rust flakes, and she's going to be dispersed, uh, you know, on the ocean current. That's a, an inevitable process. Over the 14 years since we last saw her, she has uh, declined. Uh, slower than I would have expected, but then the decline is not going to be linear. It's going to be exponential as the interior decks start to collapse and she starts to fold in on herself. So she's going the way that uh, all ships must go. Um, it was great to see her again. Hmm. I'd say I had a, a rare moment as a 16-year-old of seeing in Stockholm an exhibition when I well, must have been one of the early dives and they'd brought up diaries and hairbrushes and uh, certain artifacts and it's just such a huge part of history that touched a lot of nations um, and of maritime history that it's quite a honor to have the opportunity to see it up close 
Well, I, I, up until uh, a, a month or two ago, I was the, the, the last person to have seen it, and now that oh, that goes to Patrick. I know that uh, <laughs> got deep memories of the Titanic. It's something he'll never forget. Did, did you go down to have a look at it, Rob? Or t- uh, Patrick? No, I saw it in 2005. Yeah, so no, I made three dives on, on the Titanic. Uh, as Rob says, one of the things that you're struck by is the enormity of the vessel when you first when you first uh, come up on it. And uh, I had the chance to, you know, go all around it on in the, both the bow section, the, the, the stern section, and then various areas in, in the debris field. And I don't think it's, it's at all surprising to see the vessel's condition. I mean, it has been there for 107 years, so it's degrading. Uh, it's, you know, as Rob says, returning uh, to its uh, elemental state. And, and I, I think that in some ways that's almost in, uh, reassuring to see the ocean reclaiming it and, and returning it to its elemental form. But maybe even more interesting to me is all of the marine life on the wreck. You know, it's really become, you know, a refuge for a broad range of uh, animal life. And it's, it's really striking to see these beautiful hard and soft corals bone white on this, you know, rusty structure. Um, so it's it's at the same time beautiful and uh, and striking. You know? I wish Rob hadn't mentioned about it collapsing in a few years. Thanks for that, Rob. <laughs> no, you you ruined a beautiful moment. <laughs> I really do feel it's going to be there for a long time to come. Uh-huh. Yes, of course, it's degrading. It, it's 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 always going to be. Uh, you know, uh, decomposing, you know, at, at, at a rate, but uh, I think it'll be there for, for many, many more decades for, for people to visit if, if they're so inclined. A dignified end. Well, I think that was one of the lovely quotes I read from you, Rob, was you said, uh, life always finds a way. And it was in reference to a rock that had been brought up from 10,000 feet, presumably. Um, and found some life form in it. And it just is these amazing discoveries, even, you know, what has yet to come when they analyze all the different samples and different samples at different depths. Um, That's going to be going this on whole for new years, discovery of, of life. I mean, 40 species in nine months. Uh, most scientists or botanists or would just, that's a remarkable achievement in the science alone. Um, so it must be... A, I'm terribly exciting for Newcastle University um, to how, how be starting long, this process. How long will the science keep going for? I mean, the, you've done your job, you've done the expedition, but uh, Dr. Jameson and his team, how long are they putting, do you think they'll be putting into it? It's going to take them years to catalog and, and, and review all the samples and to, and to uh, finish their work. It's going to take a long time. I mean, the samples have only just got back onto dry land. Yeah. Uh, they've been at the university about a week. Uh, you, the way that it works is that uh, Newcastle get uh, two years head start, um, and then and then all of that stuff goes out onto the public domain. So the science will flow for years and years and years. And you know, because we're we're all inherently uh, explorers, we're all interested in how many new species. You know, we sort of keep a scorecard. But to the scientists, the new species are not that important. Uh, what's more important is the relationship between species in each of the trenches. Because if you can compare one trench with another, 
And bearing in mind these creatures don't have the ability to rise up through the water column, scuttle across the seafloor and drop into the next trench, mm. then you can start to map out uh, the biological processes and the evolutionary processes that, that must have been in place uh, to enable the, the ocean trenches to be populated the way they are. So it, it, the, the science will go beyond individual species. It's about the relationships between uh, different ecosystems in the different trenches. Um, I think the scientists talked about how exciting it was that over the course of just a 10-month, which is a pretty condensed time frame, that they visited so many trenches. And now they can, as Rob says, compare the data collected in each of the trenches um, because I don't think there's ever been an expedition like this one where they've had such a vast amount of uh, data or samples over such a condensed time frame. Can I just say, I think it's also um, a very exciting development in the future of where our, the industry, we're particularly involved in being the super yacht industry. Uh, we've seen more and more explorers or um, end clients wanting bigger experiences. And the combination of being able to do some amazing experiences with some very solid science that will be bringing, you know, further information and, and research to the world is just a fantastical example of what we can do. Now, your trip was very specific. It wasn't a cruise. Um, it was very much a, an exploration and an expedition. But I think there's a growing need in people to, um, between contributing and, and experiencing uh, just unique experiences. So for a, a future of, of ocean exploration, I think it's set a whole new level. Absolutely. Uh, you know, in, in, in the industry, in the super industry, you're seeing two, kinds of, two types of science emerging. One is citizen science, which is basically science that any layperson can do, whether it's to go out there and collect a, a water sample or do a penguin count or uh, photograph the tail of uh, a humpback whale, you know, something that can go into a, a central database that's managed by a, a, a proper scientist, a, a professional scientist, you know, that's something that every citizen can do. But the other thing that's emerging is privately funded science. And, you know, these are, these are projects for people with deeper pockets or um, with their own private yacht. But the contributions that they can make, I mean, the example of the Five Deeps expedition with Victor Vescovo is, is probably at the extreme end of the scale. But you're seeing the dynamic where one man can make this huge shift both in the uh, in the shift of technology uh, and deep submergence uh, engineering, but also in, in deep water science uh, to the same sort of level that you're seeing private business people make in space. So you could compare what Victor is doing in the deep ocean with what Jeff Bezos uh, and Elon Musk are doing for the space race. Uh, you know, it's, it's the ability of um, business-minded people to take on a challenge, to take on a much more nimble, much more efficient, uh, much faster approach to cracking a problem uh, than has been possible under, under the normal uh, government programs. So what Patrick and his team at Triton have achieved in the space of four years uh, is 
you know, up until we did it, was incomprehensible to most of the government programs. I mean, there was a sure, a relative certainty that we would fail. And the fact that it succeeded and succeeded so well for a fraction of the cost of what a government program could do it at really paves the way for people who are going to come uh, behind us in the future. And uh, with regards to the, the limiting factor, I mean, just going on from what you're saying there, Rob, I would imagine that there would be institutions coming to you looking to either charter it or get one to do their own exploration, their own development. I mean, I, I can see a big use for, the, for this in the, in, across education and as well as uh, commerce. Are you finding that? That's, that's the hope. I mean, that's the hope is that Victor's expedition will encourage uh, others to follow. Uh, and in fact, one of the things that is actively being uh, looked at right now is what organizations would be interested in chartering the Hadal Exploration System, which is what we call it, by the way, the ship, the submarines, the landers, and, and all the elements, the multi-beam system on the ship that allow you to go out there and, and conduct this unprecedented science. So there, there are organizations that are keenly interested in this, but as Rob says, it's so new uh, and unprecedented that there's really no sort of map for it yet. So people that are just beginning to realize that this capability exists are now going to be seeking grants to get funding for programs that they may like to go out and do. Designing projects now that they but have the technology. Take, there'll, be lag. Yeah, there'll be a lag between the completion of this expedition and when funding is is has been released to scientists that have a, a, an interest in pursuing a particular goal, uh, like Al Jameson did with um, with Five Deeps. Mm -hmm. Well, and we've even seen just recently... And that, 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 lag, that, that lag is what we're talking about, is that the, 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 that lag, that uh, inertia, that, uh, you know, as, as an organization gets larger, it gets more complex, and, it, and, it, and its pace slows down. And that's why very large government programs uh, have to spend an inordinate amount of money uh, in order to, to make a technological advance. Um, you know, some of the national programs that we look at, compare ourselves to, are only producing craft that can go half as deep as the limiting factor, but, uh, you know, cost 10 times uh, what our program has cost. So this sort of inertia, this lag, is also what you're seeing with the lack of uh, communication so far from, from the deep water science field. Because most of those people work on a, on a timeline of 18 months to two years. That's how long it takes them to prepare a grant and apply for funds and organize an expedition to go out there and do that. Our whole operational leg was only 10 months long. So there will be some lag while people get their heads around that, oh, wow, this is the most potent science tool mm. in the marine industry today, and maybe we should uh, think about how we might get our hands on it. I, I think it's, it's finding those inspiring people, as you say, with deeper pocket, pockets. We recently talked to Rev Ocean, which is a 180-meter superyacht, which is heading up to Norway for refitting, but similar concept of exploring the ocean's chartering above the surface but chartering and and having a science team on board and the collaboration of them um you guys know well as you've led the way um and can make some fantastic experiences and and long-term benefits 
That's right. I mean, this is another example of a of a of a ma- of a maverick, mm-hmm. you know, a pioneer, a, a person that wants to do much more than build another motor yacht. He wants to build another motor yacht that can actually achieve something uh, remarkable, and their plans are ambitious and exciting. Mm-hmm. And those of us who are lucky enough to be around right now. To, to get involved in a program like that are really going to see some fantastic science come out of that program. It's good for the ocean and it's good for all of us who care about the ocean. Yeah. And it it's, it's lovely to see people out there who are driven to do these sort of things uh, that help us advance our knowledge and understanding of the ocean. Mm. Can I uh, just uh, slip in a, it's not a sales pitch, but it's something that most people don't think about. Um, we do think about the ability to use the submersible for science and for uh, exploration, be it uh, filmmaking or private adventurers who want to go to a new deepest point somewhere in one of the oceans. But during the course of the Five Deeps expedition, one of the things that uh, Patrick did uh, as, as the pilot was to go and recover one of our landers uh, from the deepest point uh, of the Challenger Deep. So we, we put these landers down at the beginning of the dive. The landers collect uh, information on the seawater for us, which allows Patrick to then ballast the submersible correctly. Also sends back information that's useful to us for the purposes of communication and navigation. Because the bottom of the Challenger Deep is so sort of sticky uh, and soft, this lander got its feet stuck in the mud and, and <laughs> when it released its points at the end of the day, couldn't find its way back home. So Patrick went down with the submersible and gave it a little bit of a wriggle and released it and uh, sent it home. That's the deepest salvage, the deepest rescue of a vehicle uh, ever achieved. Sorry. Sorry about that. The reason that it's important is that up until he did that, any item that was lost in greater than six or 7,000 metres of seawater was lost forever. Now we have a vehicle and a system that's been proven to be able to recover an object from any depth in any ocean. Like an airline black box or it's something like remark- that. That is a remarkable achievement. And if you think about it, and you think about the sorts of people that lose very valuable cargoes uh, in, in deep water, that's where I think there's a potential market for uh, a vehicle like this. It's sort of like a whole other level of treasure hunting, really. It's a whole new industry, yeah. Well, if you think about, uh, you know, um, some of the military hardware that goes missing uh, in deep water, where they want components of a backing or uh, analysis of things that have gone wrong and found their way to the bottom of the ocean, whether it's uh, an industrial application like uh, seafloor mining, whether it's science uh, and wanting to understand more about the geology or biology of the deeps, or whether it's tourism, outreach, whatever your uh, cause is, there's only one tool in the world that can can get you there. And, of course, we had many late nights on the vessel, many of them well lubricated, and you start thinking ahead to what the Mark II and Mark III versions of this vehicle might be, and the future is very exciting indeed. Indeed. Wow. No, that was nothing like a pitch. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, really <laughs> but very well said. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I think sometimes people forget. You know, when the, when you consider for a moment 
that the average depth of the ocean is 4,000 meters. The average depth. Uh, so much of the ocean lies in extreme depths. And these parts of our ocean, not only are they largely unexplored, which therein lies great opportunity to go somewhere and see something for the first time, what could be more exciting than that? But just the practical aspect of, as Rob says, recovering something or going to see something in a particular depth, you, you know, you really have to be able to push into these deeper depths to be able to see a much bigger area of our oceans. And uh, I'm thrilled to, to know that there's this capability now, and I'm hopeful that it encourages a whole group of new explorers and adventurers to to want to go out there and and find new stuff and, and, and see things we haven't seen before. It's, uh, it's no an exciting time. Well, I, a little I bit like so. following, you know, what was it, 60 or 70 years ago, Dr. Edmondson climbed Mount Everest and he was the first and only man to do it. And then slowly over the years, where now, as you may know, it, it, it's, it's a lot of people have managed to cl climb Mount Everest. We have explored, because we want to explore the the highest points of the mountains and unknown places, all of a sudden with this new um, technology, there's a whole amazing world we have yet to discover that really we've only seen just a small segment of it over the past yeah. human lifetime. Very true. And even our expedition, which was fantastic. You know, we, we stopped in, in all these remarkable places and, but it was it was quite rushed, as 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 Rob says. You know, we we were able to complete this expedition from start to finish in ten months. In some ways, that was great, but in others, it meant that each each one of these trips was very condensed and only provided a, a handful of dives in each location. What would be great is to go back to some of these locations and spend uh, longer periods of time exploring. You know, over the course of several weeks or months really getting to know some of these areas and 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 seeing that like, when you get this map and you see all these pinnacles and all these interesting features and we didn't didn't simply have the physical time to explore them all well, you know we had to just get what we could while we were there and then continue on to the next destination well, i'm hoping that victor is listening in this evening and here's you saying <laughs> that you'd like to go and do it all over again <laughs> Well, you know, I think that uh, actually Victor has some some expeditions planned uh, for, because even though this one is finished, he caught the bug. I think he's very excited about going back and doing more. I, and I don't know, Rob, if it's okay to mention these these expeditions that he's got planned, or or whether it's uh, maybe uh, you know something I should I shouldn't say. But let's just say that Victor is keen to continue. The journey, you know, he's finished this this one trip, but there are more trips that he has planned and that he looks forward to uh, to doing, and that we look forward to supporting him. Even though he's gone to the deepest parts, there's still a vast ocean at huge depth that uh, totally unexplored. Sure, uh, the adventure is just beginning. That's right. I, I know that uh, there's plenty to see. And uh, we won't be able to do it in our lifetimes. Uh, it's going to take a lot more people. And that's one of the other things that's great about this Triton 36002, the, the limiting factor, is that it, it will have a life measured in decades and, and thousands of dives. It's not just built for 
a handful of dives. It was built to be used over many decades and to allow a lot of other people, not just Victor, but hopefully a whole string of explorers and adventurers to, to expand on, on what Victor started. So can I ask you to just a, a little personal question. Now, when you get to family gatherings, you know, we all have a, a brother who's a doctor or, you know, a brother who's a scientist. Do any of your like mums or nieces or cousins go, oh, guess what? My uncle or my, my cousin. My, my little Rob. <laughs> <laughs> my Rob, my Patrick. Um, do you have immense pride from your family and friends of what you've achieved over the past year on the uh, more personal side? Well, certainly, uh, I think my, my family, you know, certainly is, is incredibly proud of, of, of what we've accomplished. Um, this has been my, my life's work, right? I've been working in the ocean, under the ocean, since I was uh, very, very young. I started a commercial diving career when I was 18. So to me, this has been uh, kind of, you got to pinch yourself to believe it's real, that you had this opportunity to do something uh, so remarkable. Uh, and yes, my, my family is very proud of, of, of what we as a group have, have achieved. And Rob? No, the same. I mean, uh, you know, definitely it's, uh, it's, a, it's a real career high. Um, you know, they don't get giddy with it because, uh, you know, Patrick's family have watched him getting into sub submarines for decades, uh, just as my family have seen me head off with a duffel bag uh, onto one trip of a lifetime after another. But this is absolutely a career high. It's very, very, very rare in the world today to be given such a, a blank canvas uh, and you know, total authority to be you know captain of our of our own expedition. You know, Patrick was basically given the brief, build me a vehicle, and we shall go. Uh, my brief was broad, make it happen. And uh, it's a very rare opportunity uh, to be given that trust and that support by a single client, and also very rare in today's modern age of of having somewhere a, a new frontier, a frontier that has not been explored before. Mm. So from here, uh, I think we're heading to Mars. <laughs> you have to, because the only other way is down. I'm going to stay in the ocean. That's that's my. That's my place. That's what I love. And well, you've got the pressure and the heat and, well, not the heat, but the cold sorted, you know. You just need to figure the aviation side of it and you just take the same yeah. pod and put a, a rocket under it. I, I'd, rather be, I'd rather be under the ocean than standing on Mars. It seems a little bit sandy. But. Yeah, I think there's so much for us to discover on our own planet. Yeah, I think it would do us it would do us all good, and, and certainly do humanity good to uh, to devote some of our considerable resources on a more inward approach to exploration and to uh, you know expanding on uh, on this idea that there's a lot of our ocean that that remains unseen and unknown. I hope I hope this expedition will encourage others to to continue that in that vein. As I dare say, you two men will be doing over the next few years anyway with um, expeditions and submersibles and so much of the world to discover. We, we look forward to your next adventure. Thank so you very much. I appreciate you uh, continuing to stay in touch with us. Not Indeed. Will you both be or either of you be at Monica Yacht Show? 
Yes, indeed. Uh, I'll be uh, with uh, Armels and Darman talking about the Sea Explorer, uh, which we designed with them, which will be coming out later this year, and the larger Sea Explorer, the 77 meter, which will be coming out later next year. So, uh, yeah, by all means, drop by and say hello. And that, I believe, is on the Thursday afternoon. Isn't it, Rob? That's correct. And try to buy any time. I will personally be at, uh, at, at Monaco this year. Uh, but my my team and, and Triton will be well represented there, and we're excited to uh, to talk to people, anyone who will listen uh, about you know putting submersibles on yachts and and going out there and having an adventure of your own. And will you be showing any of the subs at the yacht like you have before? Yeah, I believe we'll have. Uh, you know, actually, you know, I'm not. I'm not even. I'm not sure what we'll have at, at Monaco. I should probably find that out. But uh, we'll be exciting to find we'll out. I think we'll. I think we'll have something at Monaco. <laughs> well, then uh, I look forward to, to seeing you, Rob, since I will be there myself. And Patrick, if not this time, hopefully the you'll next see, one. You'll see Craig will be there. I will be seeing Craig yeah. from your team. Yeah, for Craig sure. will be there with bells on, and he's looking forward to it. It's going to be an exciting show for us, I think. I think it shall be. So it's just you and me, Patrick. That's not going. Thank you. I was, just, I was being the lonely, lonely Cinderella for a while, but we can, we can text while they're there. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you again for your time. It's really, really always a joy to speak with you. And uh, for anyone to wanting to know a little bit more, um, just look up the Triton Sub website or EOS Expeditions, that's E-Y-O-S. And of course, both of you are in the journey and the adventures of the Five Deeps Expedition, which you can find online. A historic event. It truly was. Congratulations to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank Cheers. you both very much. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, nice Patrick. Thanks, Rob. You're listening to Bye. Super Yacht Radio.